0: Hi guys, Bethan here and welcome to our case reopen series. This time it's a very short run of two episodes, filling the gap in between season 9 and season 10. And before season 10 kicks off, on the 13th of September, we've each chosen an episode from the back catalogue to revisit. We try and choose cases that particularly resonated with us, which is really tricky because all of the episodes that we cover mean something to us for some reason. Last week, Mark introduced his revisit to the assassination of Kim Yong-nam, and he explained his reasons for wanting to cover the case in the first place, the reason why we decided to do that episode at all, and also his personal fascination with the Kim dynasty and the whole story. I've gone back to season two, to season two, episode 17, which was titled A Fatal Plan. This case has never left my memory. I refer to it quite often. I think about the Broadhead family so much. It's a really heartbreaking tale. And it's that phrase that we all hate, but sometimes you just can't help but use. Wrong place at the wrong time. I always think to myself, what if they'd got home late rather than early. What if, what if, what if? It's just heartbreaking. This is a real cautionary tale. It really is one of those cases that you look at and you think crime doesn't pay. The whole sad, sad situation is just, it was so, so preventable. And I think that's also one of the reasons why it really hits me is that there were so many moments where, this case's perpetrator could have not gone that next step further and could have not gone again. And and there's just so many opportunities where actually two lives may not have been lost. This case also includes a fire, which is something that I'm always drawn to as well. It's obviously something that really, really terrifies me. It's my choice to revisit this mostly to remember the broadhead family we're going to go back to october 2016 and i think yeah let's just remember them and i hope that it's always a weird one to say but i hope that you enjoy re-listening to this episode because i think about it often i think about the family often and i i don't want them to be forgotten but i am sorry because it is not a light-hearted listen in the slightest so thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next Wednesday with season 10. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. Hi, and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Betham.
1: And I'm Mark. It's great to be back once again. Thank you to our newest Patreon supporter, we have Michelle Kelly.
0: Thank you so much, Michelle.
1: If, like Michelle, you would like to support the show via Patreon, then you can head over to our page at patreon.com forward slash podcast.
0: So, this week, um, I'm going back to an old favourite, fire.
1: Oh, you love a bit of fire.
0: I hate fires as well, so I th- I think that's why I get drawn to doing cases about them. Um, So recently, the most common causes of household fires, according to the Tyne and Weir Fire and Rescue Services, were revealed. So the main things that could cause a blaze are smoking. That's like the main one. Unattended cooking equipment, dirty grill pans, overheating microwaves and overloaded electric sockets. They also noted that phones and laptops that are left charging for far too long are also major causes of household fires. Yeah, Yeah. definitely do that. Yeah, I think it's fine if you're just like charging it to 100, but then when you just leave it on there, I think that's the issue. They also said that whilst a house fire can be absolutely devastating, most house fires are easily preventable. And the main point of advice was that you should make sure that you have a working smoke alarm. That is, like, the main thing. What's
1: this, a public service I think it is a
0: little bit this episode, but why not? I Look think it's important. They also said that we should all have an escape plan and, like, a backup route out of the house. I know you said route. Routes. I think because I was, like, thinking that you would probably say route because you like to say things weird. Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, so a backup route planned Makes out sense, sort of in your fair, head. Yeah, so yeah. if the worst was to happen... And
1: you're upstairs or whatever, which window you can mm-hmm. jump
0: from. So... We all do know that sometimes fires are started deliberately. True crime fans probably understand this more than most people. And I don't know about you, but when I see a news report about a fire, my gut instinct is who did this or why did someone do that rather than thinking it was an innocent fire.
1: I agree, yeah.
0: Yeah, and arson is still the single largest cause of fire in England and Wales. Research estimates that the cost to the economy of arson in England and Wales is around £2.53 billion a year. In the past 10 years, there have been around 2.3 million fires set deliberately, causing over 25,000 injuries and 900 deaths in the last 10 years. In an average week in England, there are around 1,600 fires set deliberately, resulting in 50 injuries and two deaths. That seems like really crazy high to me but the number of deliberate fires has gone down in the past 30 years or so and whilst England did see a trend of deliberately set fires increasing through the 1990s the trend since then has been for it to actually decrease and up to September 2005 the number of fires had fallen by 17%
1: I find that fascinating though because I think mm-hmm. what what kind of behaviour or cultural changes are behind that
0: Yeah And that trend is continuing. So since 2005, I was kind of thinking when I was researching this case, I wonder if it's like an increase in CCTV because it's more unlikely that someone would get away with the crime.
1: Yeah, maybe.
0: Um, And it does seem quite rare to hear of deliberate fires being set. And it's so much more shocking nowadays when people do lose their lives in such events. I remember that we worked together when the first reports were being published about the shocking fire in Derby which took the lives of six children and we along with the entire country watched their parents Mick and Phil Philpott beg for information about who was responsible for them before a shocking turn of events that perhaps wasn't so shocking to people who are interested in true crime, the parents and their friend were actually convicted. I did wonder if we should cover that case, but I feel like it's been covered a lot and there are a lot of very good podcasts and very good documentaries. So if you don't know the case, if it's something that you would be interested in hearing more about, um, definitely look that up.
1: I did wonder if that's where you were going with this. I, I thought, thought oh, you we you might, do a Nick yeah. And a I didn't yeah. tell you who I was doing no, just to like, try no. and tease you a little bit there. I really thought that's where you were yeah. going. And I think I, I think you're right, though. I think I'm probably glad that we're not covering mm. that because it's it's been done a lot.
0: Yeah, and... Rightly so, because it is an absolute tragic story. But what are we going to bring to the table that's new with that? Because there's no theories that we can really explore. No. Whereas sometimes when it's an unsolved case, that even if it is really public, you can discuss. All I'd have to say is just how much I hate McPhilpot. He's such a creep. Yeah. It's <laughs> literally all I'd be saying in all episodes. Ugh. <laughs> so today's case does look at deliberate fire that was set in quite a similar manner to Mickamaraid, so the perpetrator actually used petrol, same as what they did. But the background to the case is very different to the Philpots. First, we begin in Stanley, West Yorkshire, in the middle of October 2016, with Daniel Jones and Ben Kay. The two were friends, if you can call them that, but Daniel Jones had loads of debts and was a gambling addict and he was being nagged for child support a lot from the mother of his children he realised that there was the opportunity to steal some money from his friend so when Ben was away on the 15th of October Daniel broke into his house and he stole a safe that contained 850 pounds and an ounce of the class B drug ketamine
1: I thought ketamine was class A
0: Said on the news reports no, that it was sure, a class B
1: Yeah I'm sure it is but I, I just know. always thought it was class A yeah
0: I can't imagine it's a class A I don't think it's that It's quite dangerous bad. But it's, like, medical, like medicated. Yeah, it's used it? in medicine. But it's like
1: cocaine and heroin. That's
0: true. When he got home, he made internet searches, including how to break into a Yale safe. So he was just... This guy was obviously at, like, his wits' end, and he just thought, you know what? My friend's got this money in the house. He's got drugs in the house. I'm sure that we can come to our own conclusions about the type of person that Ben was, having things like this that were available to steal. Yeah. And from those conclusions, we can also infer that he would not be the type to make a police report or deal with a theft in like a traditional legal way. His version of justice is going to be ever so slightly more personal, I imagine.
1: And also, I I suppose, obviously, he's got the drugs there, so he's not going to want to kind of admit that to the police. But even the money, the police would start asking questions and say, where did that money come from? And potentially it's come from an illegal source. Mm
0: So you can understand that Daniel's obviously in a pretty tough time, but also, is this really the right person to be stealing from? Yeah. So Ben started looking into the crime when he got back, and through his local inquiries, he learned that there was a chance that a van had been used in the robbery, and he was actually then discussing the fact that the burglar may have been caught on his neighbour's CCTV across the road. And he was discussing this in Daniel's presence. I don't know whether it was with Daniel specifically, but obviously this then was such a worry to him. Daniel had used his employer's van, he was like a delivery driver, so I don't know if he knew for definite, but Ben and his girlfriend quite quickly became suspicious that Daniel was the person who'd stolen the safe, so whether he knew this for sure or not, he knew that there was a chance he was going to get caught, and he had to make a fast decision about what to do. The CCTV camera was on the front of the people's house pointing over at Ben's and if Ben had managed to get the footage he would definitely see Daniel robbing him and it would be obvious. So Daniel decided he needed to destroy the evidence of his crime. He was told that the family who lived opposite the Broadheads were away on holiday and wouldn't be back for a few days. So in the early hours of October the 19th Daniel filled up his van with diesel drove to Leeds where he was caught on CCTV footage entering Winston's massage parlour, which he left 20 minutes later. I'm
1: guessing not for a massage.
0: Wonder what he was doing in there. Hmm. He then bought 3.75 litres of petrol at a garage nearby before he drove back to the Stanley area. Don't forget his van was a diesel vehicle, so this clearly wasn't for his van. A tracking device on the van, because it was a works vehicle, did show him parking up, and then it's stationary, and he's then caught on CCTV walking. He approaches the front door of the Broadheads' home at about four fourteen fifteen, 15, and then walks past, and he's got a can of fuel in his hand, and then he walks back. And the second time that he walks back up to the house, it is about 4.17 in the morning. He poured the petrol through the letterbox and set it alight. Inside the home were Andrew and Sarah Broadhead and their two daughters, Kira and Mia. The family had just got back from their holiday in Spain and were fast asleep. The fire took hold really fast and burned up into a huge ball of flames within seconds. The parents were awoken by a large bang and rushed out onto the landing and just saw the horror downstairs. Soon the home was filled with smoke and flames, and they said that they were in a panic, bumping into each other on the landing, shouting "fire!" and "we need to get out."
1: And I think that's a thing, isn't it? Quite often, a fire will break out in the middle of the night, so mm-hmm. you're really dopey, you're asleep, half asleep. It's dark and, anyway. Yeah, and obviously it's such a shock, you're panicking, mm-hmm. so you would just it would just be a mess. You'd just it'd be chaotic scene.
0: Yeah, the parents were like scrambling desperately to get to their children. And the neighbours had been awoken by the blaze as well, so they were trying to help. Sarah ran into Mia's bedroom and told her to climb out of the window while her husband went to go get Kira. Luckily, Sarah and Mia escaped through Mia's bedroom window. And they climbed out onto the roof of the utility room before they were kind of helped out into the garden by the neighbours firefighters were called to the scene at about 4.20, so that's how fast everything happened within And they arrived there
1: really quickly then.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Sarah could hear Andrew attempting to get Kira out to safety, so she'd sort of gone to one daughter, he'd gone to the other. She could hear him coughing and Kira screaming, but all of a sudden, everything went quiet. As Sarah dropped down onto the flat roof, she realised that they weren't behind her and she felt like her worst fears were about to come true. The fire brigade had arrived and they'd got inside. Soon afterwards, they then carried Kira out. As they were bringing her down, Sarah saw her arm move and for a second, her heart jumped, sort of really hopeful. But as her daughter was laid on the grass, she realised that she hadn't made it and she just stood there in a daze whilst her daughter was, at 4.37am, pronounced dead. The fire brigade also then found Andrew collapsed inside the home and he was collapsed near to the bedroom. Um, him and Kira just hadn't managed to make it out and he was pronounced dead at the scene later at 5.10 so they'd managed to get him out. Sarah and Mia had escaped with non-life-threatening injuries and were treated in hospital before being discharged shortly after. The fire investigators at the scene were able to determine that accelerants had been used to start the fire and immediately the police launched a murder inquiry. Detective Chief Inspector Nicola Briar of West Yorkshire Police said a substance may have been poured through the letterbox and that the person responsible would probably have been burned in the process because the fire had caught so quickly. So she appealed for anyone with information to contact the force. At a press conference, Detective Chief Inspector Breyer said, This is a terrible incident which has robbed a family of a husband and their youngest daughter. Following inquiries, we are now treating it as a murder inquiry. The seat of the fire appears to have been by the front door and we are investigating the possibility that an accelerant was poured through the letterbox. We know that this fire took hold extremely quickly and it is possible that the person who set this fire was themselves burned in doing so. So the police then appealed for anyone who knew someone whose clothes or skin had been burnt to come forward and they confirmed that they didn't believe that anyone in the house was responsible for the fire. Which I felt was quite an obvious one until I then started thinking back about the fill pots and mm. what actually perhaps it could have been, but. And yeah. I think you
1: need to, and this was after the fill pots, mm-hmm. so it was probably everybody is now a bit more aware of this kind of crime being committed and mm-hmm. that quite often the perpetrator is somebody inside the family home, so. That case, the Phil case would have been fresh in the public's mind. So they were probably just making it 100% mm-hmm. clear to the media and therefore the public that this is somebody outside the home. It doesn't yeah. need to be said, but we're going to say it. Exactly. Oh, by the way, on that note, mm-hmm. and I know we shouldn't make light of any, of course we're not of this, um, but talking about that review that we had recently where that guy said take a drink for any time bethan says exactly oh my absolutely, God, I definitely." Know. <laughs> so i think you should try and say it loads in this episode and, we'll well, get, and Al- get
0: wayne absolutely pissed. yeah we'll <laughs> get wayne and
1: anybody else who wants to play a drinking game you've got to take a drink for any time bethan says definitely absolutely or um certainly something like that it's on our instagram i'm gonna
0: have to have a little look really quickly you'll have to do some like editing or something i'll edit then. all this bit out i want to yeah i'll have to find it because it was really funny but and also, i thought what an excellent
1: game to play
0: what was like really funny was that um he'd obviously tried to put true crime but it said like try crime. Yeah. so then he was like on instagram like how embarrassing it yeah. got like autocorrected way wayno so i'm guessing his name's wayne i'm gonna yeah. go with wayne um, so take a drink every time Bethan says absolutely, definitely, or exactly.
1: Right. Okay. <laughs> so you do. just said three now.
0: And then you realise, don't you, just how much oh yeah, you say but the we're all like shit. that.
1: Um. So yeah, it's, it just made me laugh. I just thought, but I thought, what a great idea. So, I always
0: yeah. do. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really absolutely. Nice that, but I'm going to try really hard not to say stuff. Oh,
1: but what about people playing the drinking game? Oh,
0: okay. Def- exactly. Definitely.
1: definitely. <laughs>
0: Let's, anyway, right. Let's so, go back sorry, to the case. But to the case but... I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, it was quite funny. So. Chief Superintendent Mabs Hussein of Wakefield District Police said, It cannot be overstated how devastating this fire has been for the local community in Stanley. Several of our officers working on the inquiry have also been significantly and understandably affected by this tragedy. And I think that's always as well something to remember is the first responders. Christ, how do they get through their lives and deal with things like this it's
1: and even their loved ones who yeah know that their partners are going out to work their Mm -hmm. sons daughters brother sister whatever are going out to work and walking into a situation that's so dangerous
0: exactly it's really horrible done it
1: again exactly oh
0: my god Dozens of bouquets of flowers had been left by the wall outside the fire-damaged house in tribute, and a Just Giving page was set up to support the family, and it had raised more than £5,000.
1: And we see that so much these days, mm-hmm. where the local community really rallies yeah. around, and I think that's that's so lovely to see, and I know that mm-hmm. actually did happen in the Philpot case as well. A lot of the mm-hmm. money for the funerals for the children came from... Within that community, and mm-hmm. it, you know, obviously, it's horrific cases that we, we're talking about here. But yeah. you know, if anything can be taken from them, it is that sense of community
0: Definitely. when it comes together. When people just want to show their support. And yeah, yeah. Tributes began to flood in for the family. Mrs. Broadhead said, "Andy was a brave hero who managed to save the lives of his wife and his eldest daughter." Unfortunately, he couldn't save our youngest daughter, Kira, and he gave his own life trying to save hers. He was a very kind man, and Kira was a vibrant, independent, loving girl. Our whole family are absolutely devastated by their loss. The family had been on holiday in Spain with Andrew Broadhead's parents, Alan and Jean. Alan said to the press, We have just come back from holiday. We were all on holiday together in Spain, but Jean and I stayed longer. We had to come back early when we heard. We're still unpacking and expecting police to call round any minute now. It's too soon to speak about it. My wife has seen people posting about it on Facebook this morning and she's so upset. She can't believe it's happened. And he added, it's such a shock. It's very difficult to hear on the news. When we were abroad, we've lost a son and a granddaughter. Rachel Mace, Kira's teaching assistant at Stanley St Peter's Primary School, paid tribute to a vibrant and confident little girl who she described as quite a delight to know. And in the meantime, Daniel Jones was worrying. He was stressing at home. His internet searches showed him repeatedly searching on the internet about what was being reported about the fire and all of the news reports he was just constantly watching. I think what's interesting with this is he was told that they were on holiday. So... I would be interested to know a little bit more about his mindset at this point because we'll go into it in a little bit of detail later, but whether or not he knew there were people in that house.
1: I think you're right. That's a really interesting bit because as Mm -hmm. soon as you said that they were in the house after he'd started the fire, I was Mm -hmm. like, well, hang on, you said that they were on holiday. yeah. So I think he probably did think they were on holiday and he was just burning the house down to destroy the CCTV.
0: And perhaps he didn't realise that the fire would necessarily take hold so quickly throughout the house. I think that would be
1: naive to think that. Yeah. Using three and a half litres of petrol
0: But then how clever is this yeah, you know, How truly, clearly yeah, is yeah. this guy he's thinking you know, a Perhaps not clever, guy. perhaps yeah. that's the wrong way But how clearly is he thinking at this point But
1: can you imagine what he is thinking right mm-hmm. now So he's yeah. found out that he has ruined An entire family's lives Two of them are now dead mm-hmm. That wasn't his intention, probably Yeah. Um yeah, that, the, Obviously he's done wrong But mm-hmm. the blind panic yeah. When you realise that actually I'm responsible mm-hmm. for two people's Lives now. I'm a murderer.
0: And it's going to get worse, Mark. I'm just going to warn it can't you can't get worse
1: than this. Yeah. It's fucking horrific.
0: It is. The father and daughter had a joint funeral with a four-car cortege bringing traffic to a standstill throughout the city centre. And the procession was followed by around 40 motorbikes. White flowers edged with orange inside the first hearse spelled out the words Dad and Andy. And inside the other hearse, the same coloured flowers spelled out the words Sissy and "Kira." Both coffins were draped in Castleford Tiger shirts. Which I'm guessing is a football or rugby Mm. team locally. I don't know. According to local newspaper reports, as they arrived in the ball ring... It slowly made its way round to the cathedral as the sound of revving motorbikes filled the city centre. The procession of riders parked their bikes on the bullring before heading into the service. And after the service, the sub-dean of Wakefield Cathedral, Canon Tony McPherson, said, there was today a genuine outpouring of grief and love, both for Andy and Kira and also for Sarah and Mia, and the applause as they left the cathedral was heartfelt. Both Sarah and other members of the family made personal tributes which were read out and spoke of how kind and generous both Andy and Kira were and how they would always help anyone and Andy's love of life and laughter had kind of touched people. It was a privilege for us at the cathedral to serve the family and the community of Stanley and beyond at this difficult time, he said. The morning after the fire, Daniel Jones and Ben Kay were in contact and Daniel Jones had been told by Ben everything that he knew about the fire. I wonder whether Ben realised the truth of what happened. It's not something that I've been able to discover. The police continued to investigate and pretty quickly pieced together what had happened. They were able to look at local CCTV and they'd used the tracker on the van to kind of follow Daniel's movements as soon as they realised he was a person of interest. They soon had plenty of video evidence of him setting the fire, running away and then driving off.
1: And I guess also of him getting the petrol.
0: Yep. Jones was arrested a couple of days later on the Saturday evening, but he denied responsibility for the burglary or the house fire and made no comment answers to questions. He was charged and remanded in custody, awaiting his trial. The trial began in November 2017 at Leeds Crown Court, where Daniel Jones was charged with two offences of murder, arson with intent to endanger life and burglary. He pled not guilty to the two charges of murder, and then also he pled not guilty to the alternative counts of manslaughter. So he was just saying, I was nothing to do with this. He denied arson and the also, it was arson with intent to endanger life, but also the alternative charge was arson being reckless, whether or not life was endangered. So he could
1: have pled guilty to lesser charges yeah. and got a lighter sentence, but yeah. he made the decision, I guess, on legal advice yeah. to plead not guilty so to he all pled of not it.
0: Guilty. He pled not guilty to burglary, which was the initial crime where he'd stolen the safe. The prosecution's case was that he had poured petrol through the letterbox of the property in order to destroy possible CCTV evidence of a burglary that he was alleged to have committed days earlier at another house in the street. And he just denied all of that. There were emotional scenes in the courtroom. At one point, Mia Broadhead, who was 12 when her father and her sister died in the fire, gave tearful testimony about the disaster. The judge actually had to give special permission for her to be in the courtroom because the usual age limit is 14.
1: And that's so brave of her so in such brave. an intimidating setting mm-hmm. with so much emotion to go in there in front of all those people in front yeah. of the judge and talk so bravely mm-hmm. about how it had impacted her.
0: And not just to write the statement but to read it out yeah. like I I don't know many adults who would be able to do that. She wiped away her tears as she told the packed courtroom, My daddy was the world's greatest superhero and he was my hero. I am thankful for his happiness, his kindness and his love for everyone, the way he was positive and how he always lifted everybody's spirits. Mia also described her sister Kira, saying to the courtroom, My sissy was the world's brightest star and nobody will dull her sparkle. I'm thankful for the eight years we had with her, for her kindness, her funniness, her caring for one another and her humour. She didn't deserve this. Neither of them did. After she had finished reading out her statement, Mia returned to the public gallery where she was hugged by her mother. And I just imagine everyone was so moved by that entire thing.
1: I'm moved by that. It's Mm. absolutely heartbreaking, the words that she read out.
0: Sarah also read out a personal impact statement to the judge in which she paid tribute to her husband and daughter and described the terror of the night in question, which is how we know so much about what went on inside the home that night and how she felt when she couldn't hear them behind her. Daniel Jones, who sat in the dock wearing a light grey suit and was surrounded by prison officers, just stared straight forward as the statements were read. But what else could you do? What else can you do? Yeah, exactly. But then
1: I would have broken down. Yeah. Yeah. But then I suppose that would have admitted his guilt. I don't know.
0: It could have shown him to have a bit more feeling, though. And then he's like, well, I didn't do this and I feel really bad for the people that this happened to And I wouldn't have been
1: able to control my emotions Mm. hearing that.
0: Yeah. So I know we talked about whether or not he was particularly a smart guy or not and whether it was panic or what it was. But I just don't think he was that smart because not only was he caught out initially as the robber, pretty much, like Ben knew this. And he was quite easily identified as the fire starter. But he'd also fabricated a set of lies to try and throw detectives off the case. So one such lie was he tried to cover his tracks by arranging for a can of petrol to be left by his home as a decoy prior to the trial. So then he could kind of claim that what he'd bought on the CCTV Um. was purchased for his motorbike. Right. So it was innocence. Except the plastic can that had been bought and then left outside his home was manufactured in 2017, so it couldn't have been the one that he bought in October. The prosecution also said that Daniel would have known that the family were home, because when he walked past the house the first time, there was a light on, and when he walked back past, the light was out.
1: But then, I I don't know, I still disagree with that to a certain extent, because... He may have just, that may have just not registered yeah. with him that the light was on and now it's off.
0: And sometimes people have the timers on their yeah. lights at night time when they're away.
1: And we're talking about this guy being a bit thick. Yeah. I don't think he's that observant. Mm.
0: I think the prosecution then were trying to say that he would have known there was someone inside. It's never been proven either way. Right. Um, so this is purely my speculation, but I just think at this point he would have felt so trapped. He was planning to set this fire he'd gone to his little massage parlour and got himself you know ready to go do this
1: i love how you like saying that's part of getting ready to do it i
0: think it is i think he had to like calm himself down somehow right
1: that's really interesting
0: what do you think that can be my word
1: interesting i use it a lot (laughs) um no or did you think
0: it was just a random part of the story he just went it's weird
1: that he's done that before then going to commit the fire so i think the two probably are connected i think Mm. you're actually right i think it was um a release for him it was I was a way assuming of controlling like, his emotions yeah. somehow by having that release first. Um Yeah, uh, yeah. it's weird, really weird, and I think a really valid point that you've made actually. Mm, that was I just think purely my assumption, yeah, but I, I really right.
0: felt like he was preparing himself yeah. to, I thought you to just go kind through of, with this. The
1: way you said it, I just thought, is that what you mean? But you actually do. Yeah. So I think you're right.
0: I think he just felt so trapped and he honestly thought that setting this fire was the only way out. He thought that this is going to get rid of the CCTV. I'll be out and I'll be in the clear.
1: So are you saying that he's kind of turned up at the house, he's ready to set it ablaze, mm-hmm. he potentially did realise at that point the family were home, but was in uh, su- backed into such a corner that he yeah, had no choice but to I continue?
0: I think that at I this he point, right. he might have even heard someone walking around and he still, in my opinion, he still would have needed to do this.
1: Yeah, he was so ready to commit this act, mm-hmm. nothing was going to stop him. Yeah.
0: During the trial, prosecutor Jonathan Sharp did tell the court that Mr Jones did not set fire to the Broadheads house because he had some sort of grudge against them. He added he did it because he wanted to destroy evidence of another crime that he had committed a few days earlier. The court heard that it was certain that anyone in the property would have been at risk of serious injury or death from the fire. But I do think that's quite nice like fair nice that the prosecutor is even saying this is not a grudge killing he's not chosen to go kill them he just did not think he had any other option so mm, i suppose yeah no i think it's
1: up. it's a fair kind of representation of the motive That yeah um i think also you know sort of setting a house on fire at night time the way that he did that is particularly dangerous because mm. as we all know you know fire kind of travels upwards yeah, and everyone's gonna they're, they're going to be upstairs. So it's going to quickly travel up, up, up literally up the steps, yeah. up the stairs and then onto the landing and into the bedroom. So they really were lucky that, you know, two of them actually mm-hmm. got out alive.
0: So at the end of the two-week trial, the jury took just three hours to clear Jones of two counts of murder, but to convict him of manslaughter. The jury also found Jones guilty of one count of burglary in relation to the theft of his friend's safe. Mr Justice Morris sentenced Jones to 20 years in prison for double manslaughter and told the killer he was guilty of seriously reckless conduct and said that this had caused enormous and enduring pain and suffering to the family. After the sentencing, Jonathan Sharp from the prosecution said, This was an appalling crime and the consequences have caused Mr Broadhead's surviving family unimaginable suffering. The police conducted a wide-ranging investigation. We were able to present CCTV to the court, which showed Jones buying petrol far from his home address and then arriving at the Broadheads' home and setting fire to it. Tracker evidence from his van was found to confirm his movements that night and his lies to the police strengthened the case against him. Having heard all the evidence, the jury convicted Jones. I hope the convictions are of some comfort to the Broadhead family and our thoughts remain with them. And Judge Justice Morris told the court, It is hard to imagine the horror of the catastrophic events of that night, what Andrew and Kira must have endured, and the pain and anguish that Sarah and Mia have to endure. They have to live not only with the trauma of the events of that night, but with their devastating loss. Cases of death through arson are particularly horrific, and the seriousness is very grave. You did not intend to cause their death or serious harm to them. You did not know that they were home when you set light to the house. However, I have no doubt that when setting light to number 55, you were guilty of seriously reckless conduct that foreseeably carried the risk of causing pain or death or a serious injury. You have caused the death of two people, an enormous pain and suffering to Sarah and Mia Broadhead and their wider family. Kira was only eight years old and particularly vulnerable. So I think... Daniel just sat there, hearing all that being said to him. He must surely now have so much remorse for this. You would I hope think, so. Yeah. And Detective Briar of West Yorkshire Police, who we heard from earlier, said that the crime had shocked the whole of West Yorkshire. She said, It is difficult to know where to start to describe the sheer madness and callousness of Jones's actions in trying to cover up a burglary by setting fire to a family home. It is no exaggeration to say that he has left the Broadhead family facing a lifetime of loss.
1: I think he was actually quite lucky to get away with the sentence mm-hmm. that he got because because he's been convicted of manslaughter. It's not a life sentence. Yeah. So it's not a minimum term of 20 years. He could be released on parole. They could mm-hmm. look at parole after half of that.
0: Yeah. So this is where it, it gets really bad, Mark. Because
1: I was thinking, I thought you said it gets worse. I was like, we're yeah. nearly at the end now.
0: Ironically... The CCTV outside of the Broadheads home was not working at the time. And he actually killed half of the family for something that would never have revealed his crimes in the first place. Isn't that. I don't know what to say. That is just. I
1: I just can't believe it. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that.
0: Yeah. I couldn't end the episode on that note. I absolutely couldn't. So I thought. Bit of a public service announcement, but I thought I'd share some of the tips from the yeah, UK Fire yeah. Service on how to protect yourself in your home. They sort of state that most fires in the home can be prevented, so obviously, things like this this is a deliberately set fire, but the accidental fires we can sort of take some basic and common sense precautions. They have loads of online resources and leaflets that can be downloaded, and most, if not all, fire and rescue services in the UK offer what is known as a safe and well visit. Um some of them call them a home fire risk assessment or a home fire safety check and basically members of your local fire and rescue service visit your house they carry out an inspection of your home completely free of charge but they'll then look at where the risks are for you so that you can amend those they did say on the website as a warning that the visit might be carried out by firefighters who are operational so don't be surprised if a fire engine arrives at your home I thought that wow. sounded like amazing I was like yes please especially if you've got kids, like, it would be really important to do that with kids in the house and talk to them about fire safety, but also they might go sit in the truck and stuff. So, What an
1: amazing service to be offered though.
0: And I didn't know about this until I was investigating about this case. The visit, basically, they'll go around, they'll identify and make you aware of potential fire risks within your home, perhaps even telling you you need to stop doing such and such or change what you're doing they help you to plan an escape plan so if there is a fire that breaks out they'll actually help you the best routes and what's most safe and sensible and then also they'll ensure that your smoke alarms are working and if you do qualify for a free smoke alarm to be fitted because you don't have any at the time they'll actually fit it free of charge ready for when they go wow so i that's thought that brilliant. was really good for hopefully some of our listeners may take this up as a yeah as obviously in the use. uk not the 25 yeah. percent of you are so I don't know, in america i don't know whether america has something similar i know that in the us um you can turn up at a fire station and they'll fit your car seats for you wow so uh, again i don't know if the uk do that yeah but
1: but have a look at your local authorities and
0: yeah see what see what's on offer because it's a free service there's also some help available from london fire safety on their website which talks you through making an escape plan because they say that they appreciate that in a smoky scary atmosphere it's easy to freeze panic and actually become disorientated and You might think that's a bit strange because you're in your own home, but yeah, you can understand that.
1: Do you know what I've heard is quite common Mm. um, with fires in family homes that when the fire service go into the home to look for the members of the family, they will quite often find very young children hiding in wardrobes Mm. or in cupboards because they don't quite have the understanding that that's still not a safe place. But, um, or under beds, under beds, yeah. that kind of thing. But they, they just literally are trying to hide from it. Mm-hmm. So that's really common.
0: So, whereas actually, I suppose if you've got the fire brigade come out and they speak to your children, and it's, you know, it's never going to happen to you, but what if? Yeah. You've got something. Um, they say that by planning and practicing how you would escape with the whole family, you can be more confident in a fire situation. So, actually having that practice. And I do remember my mum and dad always told us they were like, we had quite big big bedroom windows and so they'd be like, you chuck your duvet out, you jump out, don't don't care about your other family, but don't care about your sisters, don't go back for anything. You get you jump out onto the garden and they'd be like, Aim for the bushes, mm. whatever room and re- you're in. Really
1: they say try not to jump, try and kind of crawl out of the window yeah. and hang on with your hands and yeah, then lower knocking, yourself. Yeah, yeah, so you're not jumping as far.
0: Or throw like your duvet out or your yeah. mattress if the room's big enough, smaller, I don't know, like the window's big enough. Um, they have sections, so that's on the London Fire Safety website, they have sections for every different type of home that's imaginable, so depending on if you're in a flat and that sort of thing.
1: And isn't it weird that we, at work, would have... Regular fire mm-hmm. testing, yep. so probably once a week. You yeah, know, our listeners drills, would be the same. So yep. probably testing the fire alarm once a week, and then a fire alarm drill once a year as a minimum, yep. where you literally are simulating a real fire and yep. evacuating. When you we have ne-
0: visitors, you're like, there's yeah, the fire yeah. escapes. Here's what when we do, do we do. ever do
1: that in our own home?" And
0: actually, when you're asleep in bed, that's the most important time yeah. that you should be practicing. You're because when you're vulnerable. at work, you alert. You're, you're awake. alert. You're awake. Yeah. It's
1: light. Yeah. You've got other
0: people around you. So yeah bit of a public service announcement ending to the, to the episode, but I felt like it was quite important to do. And I also wanted to kind of move away from the case because it was just so harrowing to research and write that episode.
1: And I find it weird that, you know, that's that's quite a big crime that's been committed, a young child has been killed and her dad as well. And I don't recall this case. I don't recall mm. reading about it. It's
0: very local, I feel like. Um, yeah to the sort of Yorkshire area to that area yeah so it didn't necessarily make the national news much he was caught quite quickly and I think that's often why cases then become more national news because the police are still appealing for information so it was headline news but perhaps not for as long as sometimes other cases are
1: quite a raw case Mm, for us there thank you for that
0: thank you for listening everybody and get in touch and let us know your thoughts
1: we are on Instagram, Facebook, mm-hmm. and Twitter.
0: Search for Seeing Red the podcast.
1: You can also find us over at Patreon at Seeing Red, no, at... Yeah,
0: Seeing Red podcast. Like, at, you search for it.
1: At patreon.com forward slash Seeing Red podcast. Oh, you just got
0: confused.
1: I got confused.
0: Um, or you can email us or whatever you want to do. Just get in touch.
1: Yeah, until uh, next time, we'll see you then.
0: Thanks for listening. Bye.
1: Bye. Hi angels, it's your girl Louise Rumble and I'm the host of the Open House Podcast. Therapy quite literally changed my life and sent me straight into my hot healing girl era. Now, each week I share my story, the good, the bad and the downright juicy and chat with some of the world's best therapists, psychologists and wellness experts. From love, sex and dating to attachment styles, nervous system regulation, wellness hacks, hormone balancing and more, nothing is off the table. I've emptied my bank account on therapy and healing so you don't have to. So if you're ready to leave the past in the past and build the future you've always deserved, me and my favorite experts are waiting for you on the Open House podcast. Listen now wherever you stream your podcasts and I cannot wait to meet you.